Hi, I'm Brian Strauss, co-founder of Demand Collective and host of the Collective Wisdom podcast. Collective Wisdom is a demand generation podcast brought to you by Demand Collective, a hyper-vetted community of demand gen and revenue marketers. Apply to join online at demandcollective.io. Thanks for listening. All right. Welcome to another episode of Collective Wisdom by Demand Collective. Today, I'm joined by Tara Robertson, head of demand generation at Chili Piper, the only complete meeting lifecycle automation platform built for teams. She's also the host of the Demand Gen Chat podcast. Tara has been with Chili Piper for over two years, helping to expand their illustrious online presence and generating pipeline in an increasingly challenging environment for many tech and software companies. Welcome, Tara. Super excited to have you. How are you? Thanks so much. That was such a nice in- intro. I love the illustrious. <laughs> That's so nice <laughs> oh, to hear. I mean, Chili Piper, I've been following Chili Piper for probably at least two or three years now. So it's been really exciting to see the development of your programs. I know, uh, you know, Kaylee ran things before and then watching the way you've taken over and, and really made that all your own. Maybe you could walk us through a little bit of your journey, you know, where you started. I know you were previously a a BDR and how you ultimately ended up at Chili Piper. Yeah, sure. So my first role, I think I was called like a marketing coordinator, but I was basically an inbound BDR. So Mm -hmm. I was a little bit of a bait and switch, but um, I essentially was an inbound BDR, but I also was the reception. I ordered catering. I did honestly a bit of everything. Um, And what I was really lucky in that role is I learned what I didn't like. So I was not really comfortable on the phone. I didn't like pitching, but I found that just starting up conversations with people at events and kind of more organically, I really did enjoy. So I kind of moved towards the marketing angle organically there. Um, And while I was there, we implemented HubSpot. So I got kind of a taste of the MarTech space and that really kind of pulled me in more onto the demand gen digital marketing side of things. So obviously HubSpot, everyone knows them. They're crushing it in digital marketing, but this was around 2011. So they were pretty new. Um, But even then you could tell that they were going to be huge. You could just, you could sense it in their marketing and all the just buzz around them. So I really wanted to find a role where I was more in that space. And I ended up after that at a startup called Uberflip, also based here in Toronto, which is in the content marketing space. Um, From there, I moved to kind of wanted to try something outside of B2B. So I moved to Top Hat where we sold into the higher ed space. So we actually sold colleges and professors, which was definitely interesting. Um, But I really wanted to get back to B2B after three years away. So that kind of brought me over to Chili Piper. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe tell me a little bit more about how you ended up at Chili Piper and kind of like what that journey has looked like just in your time there. Yeah, sure. So I kind of got headhunted-ish. I got approached by a recruiter who you mentioned Kaylee. Um, so she at the time saw my resume and just kind of sought out a meeting with me, which was really flattering. Um, and then from there, I just really respected Kaylee and everything she was doing at Chili Piper. So that just got me super excited to join the team. It was the first fully remote role that I had interviewed for. So I was a little bit hesitant on that front. Yeah. Um, I had always worked for Toronto-based companies very much like in office Monday to Friday. So that was brand new for me, but Kaylee was an awesome leader. So really excited to come on board and learn from her. 
Yeah. So in terms of coming in and sort of taking over a lot of that stuff, what was, mm-hmm. what was it like, you know, stepping into those shoes and and what steps did you take to leave your own mark and, and to really take that strategy and make it your own? Yeah, I would say, so when I joined, I was really brought in to help scale the team that it was basically just Kaylee when I joined yeah. on demand gen. Um, so I was brought in to focus on paid social. And then really quickly, I saw a couple other things that I was excited about. So one was the newsletter, the sauce that we had kind of quietly growing in the background. Um, I, I kind of put my hand up to take that over just because I personally just love email newsletters. I know they're not everyone's favorite, but I really like them. Um, so I put my hand up to kind of run with that and lead that program. And then when Kaylee left, obviously Demand Gen Chat had already grown quite a decent following. So Nolan, who runs our video production side and creative side, um, we met and we just said, like, this is really working. We can't drop this when Kaylee leaves. And I was just a natural fit to take over. So that was kind of, we kind of looked around and said, like, who else would it be? Um, (laughs) It's not something that I was comfortable with at first, but it was a really great opportunity to step up. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like stepping into that when you, you know, saying you weren't so comfortable? How did you make yourself more comfortable? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, no one that I know at least likes watching recordings of themselves. So I just avoid that as much as possible. Um, that That's kind of my first piece of advice. But the other piece is I just used it as a way to learn from people that I really admired. So instead of having like awkward forced networking with people that I admire, I invite, invite them on the podcast and it's just a really natural conversation that way. So that's how I treat it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's, um, so you, you mentioned podcast was doing really well. It's kind of like a, like a, we have to do this. Mm-hmm. How do you, what's your framework for repeatedly? Cause you, you pump out a bunch of episodes and they seem like they're really high quality and, and the branding and everything that goes into that. What's your process for getting all of those out, for distributing the content and deciding on topics and guests? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's kind of a bunch of questions. So I'll start Sorry. with what we <laughs> yeah, did wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll start with what we did wrong the first year I took it over. So um, when we took it over, essentially, I just thought like, oh, this will be quick. I'll just work it into my normal week, schedule out these episodes. But obviously, life happens, things happen. Um, so that first year I had to reschedule a bunch of episodes because I got COVID. A couple of my guests had COVID. It was just, it was 2021. So it was everywhere. Um, and we hadn't planned for that. So we had a whole month when we just had nothing to put out, which we, we definitely saw us hurt the numbers because with podcasts and especially because we distribute on YouTube as well, consistency mm-hmm. and putting out those episodes consistently, we saw really made a difference. So having that month with nothing really hurt us <laughs> the first year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really wanted to avoid that the second time around. So we actually spent, I blocked about three weeks off in my calendar. So nobody internal could book meetings with me. Um, and I used <laughs> those to pre-book and, um, record all the interviews, almost all of them. We had a couple that came later on, but that really helped us get ahead of the game. Um, and then Nolan, who is our video or had a video who helps me with the production. He actually was going on pat leave in September. So we had, sort of a forced deadline of he's not going to be around to help me if I don't get my shit together and get them done. (laughs) So that kind of helped honestly to have like a fake deadline in my head of like, I need this done by this time. Um, So that really helped. And then on the production side, Nolan actually wrote a really great blog post that walks through every single tool we use. It's quite a lot. So I won't list them all out right now. Um, But we use Riverside for recording. We use Descript to help with the transcripts after the fact and some light editing 
We use Opus, which helps us with pull, pulling social clips with AI. So there's a ton of automation happening behind the scenes. It's not as much of like a highly produced asset as you would think from looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we use Opus. It's a, it's a lifesaver. <laughs> you know, I used to have to do those yeah. by hand in Premiere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I used to pick them by hand um, every week and then I, it was such a cool tool to find. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, what would you say like over the course of your career is the best demand marketer you've ever worked with? Oh, oh my gosh. That's and tricky. I think there's so many different types of marketers. Um, when I was at Uberflip, I worked with someone amazing named Hannah Abaza, who mm -hmm. moved on to Shopify after that. Um, but she was just so at the forefront of what's trendy, honestly, now. And this was five, six years ago. She had a podcast at the time. And I was like, who listens to podcasts? What is like, why do we need a podcast? Um, she, yeah, she was an amazing marketer. So I would definitely check her out on LinkedIn if you haven't. I don't know if she's too active these days, but she's amazing. Um, and then obviously Kaylee was so cool to learn from at Chili Piper, who really, I feel like when I joined Chili Piper, I was very fortunate that a lot of things I had to kind of fight for in other roles were already kind of a given here, which is rare. Um, yeah. So I came from a place where we were very heavy on gated content. We did a lot of content syndication and I would look at the numbers and kind of say, I don't know if this is working. I don't know if we should keep doing this, but it was just kind of the status quo and how things had already been done. So yeah. when I came to Chili Paper, it was such a relief to come to a team that was like, oh, we don't do that. We don't waste our time with those things. Yeah. So that was really great. Yeah. I remember reading a blog from her about how she bailed on lead scoring. And I mm. was like, yes, really thinking <laughs> along the same lines at the time. And, and I remember I had people I worked with and they were like, that's crazy, man. You can't just dump lead scoring. And I was like, well, at least not use it the same way. So that's really interesting. Mm. Um, you mentioned uh, fighting for things at other companies that you were sort of a given at Chili Piper. How did you justify the time and ROI and, you know, especially with the podcast, these things that like require hybrid attribution or word of mouth, things like that. Yeah. What, what do those discussions look like and how do you justify? Yeah, I would say in the past, I honestly didn't know how to approach these conversations, which I probably could have asked around and gotten some input on that. Um, but one thing that we do now that, again, it sounds so obvious, but we just ask people how they heard about us. And I know it's, it's a lot of people talk about like dark socials, self-reported attribution, all of that. Um, so we ask a couple different ways. And honestly, we get a different answer every time we ask. So it's really interesting. Um, but we ask on our demo request form, how did you hear about us? And it's just an open text field so people can write whatever they want. And we'll get responses kind of all over the gamut from par long paragraphs to people just writing podcasts or LinkedIn or one word answers. Um, and then on our first sales call, the rep also asks and we record that in Gong. So mm -hmm. I'm able to kind of compare like, okay, this person said they saw us on LinkedIn, but then when the rep dug into it, they actually knew a former customer who told them about it. And then obviously on our reporting, it says like paid search, which yeah. is, we all kind of know that comes last as the last right. touch. But um, <laughs> so we try not to focus too much on last touch, but it really is just at the end of the month, I kind of have to comb through a bunch of different sources. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, I think that's a really great example about uh, that shows the perception of a linear buying path is not realistic. It's not the reality. Right. Uh, and, and when you go to, you know, talk about marketing's contribution to pipeline, to revenue, 
you know, are you currently, I'm a big fan of the way Refine Labs does it, right? Where they look at intent instead of departmental. How do you guys approach that? Mm. Yeah, there's a couple of different ways you could look at it. I feel like it's funny, even I mentioned that I was really fortunate coming in, but even at Chili Piper, we'll have conversations of like, why didn't this ad do anything? Or like, why didn't this UTM link have any conversions? But if you really think about how you buy things, that's, Mm -hmm. it's pretty rare that I'm going to click on like a LinkedIn ad and book a demo. Like, I don't think I've ever done that. So, um, so usually we just focus on, I don't know if I would say, call it exactly what Refine Labs does. It's pretty close where Mm -hmm. we basically, we make sure that people know what we do and how we can help them. And then we really just make it as simple as possible for them to get in touch with us. But we're not expecting every single lead, every single campaign we run to be a lead generation or a demand generation tactic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you, so, you know, taking that information, how do you prioritize what strategies to do? Cause I take it, are you, are you currently the lone demand gen person there? That's right. Okay. So that's, you know, that's a lot on your plate, right? That's a lot to execute on. How do you prioritize that stuff and, and decide, Hey, this is what has to drop off. This is what, you know, we can at least do next quarter, et cetera. That's a great question. Um, so we use OKRs internally. Um, I know some people aren't, I'm a big fan of them just because you can show at a super high level, especially for someone like me who reports up to a co-founder, Sometimes you just have to give them the highlights of like, these are the four things that I'm going to focus on this quarter. Tell me now if I'm heading in the wrong direction, but this is going to be it. Um, So for example, for this quarter, we've wrapped up our podcast. I'm not creating a ton of original content right now. So my focus is really just getting our paid ad accounts in order, cleaning up our paid search, which is stuff that I didn't have time for last quarter because I was so focused on content creation. So it kind of ebbs and flows with what's going on that quarter. We also, we don't have someone in events right now full-time, so I'm helping out with that. So it's a pretty busy time. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> we are hiring for that if anyone is interested. Um, but yeah, so my time is definitely split right now. But I find the OKR super helpful just to show all of our marketing team, everything we're working on, ideally ladders up to these four main objectives that we're all working towards at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And, and as far as figuring out what OKRs are going to drive the greatest business impact. How do you decide on that? Yeah. So it's a mix of, obviously we have the different attribution that I mentioned earlier. So I can look at self-reported and say, okay, last quarter, even though LinkedIn ads doesn't show direct conversions, we see people referencing our LinkedIn ads in self-reported. So we know it's doing something. So that has to be a focus. Um, That also has helped me drop things. Like for example, we were p- paying a lot of attention to Facebook ads, um, Instagram ads, just to kind of, obviously it's cheaper channel. We wanted to try to hit the audience in different ways, but those weren't coming up in any of our reporting or self-reported. So it was kind of an obvious, like I'm strapped for time. I'm going to pause on this and focus on the channels that are working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what, what is some of the things you look towards, you know, in these platforms, some of the KPIs around understanding what's performing before it's had a measurable impact on revenue? Yeah. So for a channel like LinkedIn, we look a lot at engagement metrics, which honestly, in the past, I probably would have dismissed as kind of like fluffier (laughs) metrics. But um, we focus a lot on thought leadership type content and we're running thought leader ads right now as a test. And the the engagement rate on those is, at least for us, amazingly high. Our normal ads, we get around like a 3% engagement rate, which is pretty decent. 
these are upwards of 14. It's crazy. Wow. Um, and so those are ads running from individual accounts, if anyone hasn't seen those. So we're testing them out from our co-founder Alina's account. Oh, interesting. So are those, those are the, the thought leader ads? Yeah, exactly. So they come up in your feed as a sponsored post, but from a person versus a brand. Yeah, yeah. I've seen, you know, I haven't been in a platform since they launched it, but I've been hearing a lot of good things. How do you differentiate the sort of voice, tone, messaging for, you know, something like Alina's account versus like the company account? I would say we're still figuring that out. Um, <laughs> Alina yeah. is very active on her own social. So she really writes everything that you see on her social, but she'll often ask around for feedback before she posts. So we'll kind of chime in and say, like, not really sure what you meant by this line. Can you clarify this? Um, but it is all in her voice, which, again, I'm pretty fortunate to have co-founders that are passionate about marketing and really want to just help the team succeed. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. I think that goes a long way towards the engagement, towards the relatability, because it's... Mm -hmm. You know, like I followed uh, Alina for a long time. I've followed a lot of the, the people from Chili Piper and it's sincere and it's authentic, right? It doesn't feel like corporate jargon. Uh, yeah, it's funny. She sometimes gets annoyed at me because I want it to be perfect before we hit publish. <laughs> and, yeah. and she's like, no, 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 this typo was on purpose because I want people to know that I wrote it. And if there's no typos, they won't know. <laughs> <It was me. laughs> so I, 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 I kind of want to be the brand police sometimes, but she ends up being right when I look at the metrics. So, I mean, that's, you know, you need, you need each type of personality. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 so there's a really big culture with Chili Piper of, of that brand presence, right? Of these SMEs who are really singing the praises of the work they do, Chili Piper, uh, really just being passionate individuals and being present. What, what, if any role have you played in helping to facilitate that culture? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing that we do as a marketing team is we try to just provide resources to help other roles. So for example, on our sales team, some of our highest performing sales reps also happen to be super engaged on LinkedIn and have a decent following on LinkedIn. So at least in my experience, when you, as one sales rep is hitting their numbers, everyone else wants to know, like, how do I also do that? So right. that's been not something that we've done directly as a marketing team, but it definitely helps. Um, and then we also do things like one is we do company takeovers. So anyone can volunteer to take over our LinkedIn account. I think it's still every Thursday. Could be wrong mm -hmm. on the date. Um, and that, first of all, it gives our social media manager a tiny bit of a break because she has one day when she can yeah. plan ahead and record video and do other things. But it also gives people the chance to get in front of our 50 something thousand followers on and lead people back to their account if they want to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love that. Love that. Do you, um, do you feel like there's a quantifiable impact on like your inbounds and stuff like that from, from, uh, employees being so active on LinkedIn? Definitely. Yeah. I've never worked somewhere where literally in our self-reported attribution, we'll get comments like this SDR's LinkedIn post was hilarious or just like very specific mentions of our sales reps. And it's, I, it's hard to tell people how to recreate that culture because it's, it's just, it happens so organically. But one thing we do look for is people that want to learn and want to put themselves out there and be curious. And I think that all kind of comes along with being I don't want to say good at social, but at building that kind of organic network yourself. Yeah. Yeah. 
They, um, yeah, I had a, I had a boss one time. It was like that. She was like, I'll always take the person who has a slightly less, you know, impressive resume, but shows the desire to learn. Mm -hmm. I think it goes so far, just like in every component of your interactions with those types of people, because they're always trying to lift you up, lift themselves up, lift, you know, the whole team up. And that's really like, to me, at least what drives an effective, passionate, talented marketing team. Yeah. And we're Uh, lucky that it's not just the marketing team that cares about that and sees the impact. So we just help amplify them wherever we can. Yeah. Do you, what's your relationship like with the sales team? Compared to other places I've worked, I would definitely say it's the best. <laughs> um, <laughs> one reason for that, and I know you talked about lead scoring earlier, but that was definitely a sore spot for me in some of my past roles where obviously everyone's trying to hit their number. Marketing's trying to hit a number. Sales is trying to hit a number. Um, so there was a lot of negotiation back and forth on what we passed over, what counted as an MQL. But here we literally only pass over demo requests. There's no going back and forth on what the lead score should be or like what's qualified, what's not. It's if they're qualified and they raise their hand for a demo, then sales gets them. If not, like we didn't do our job yet if we haven't handed them over. So it's it takes away a lot of that pain of the negotiation every month of, hey, we brought in 2000 MQLs. What happened on your end? You guys dropped the ball. Yeah. Um, so it, at first when I joined, it was a little jarring because I was used to seeing thousands of leads, thousands of MQLs and our numbers are much smaller, but the contribution to pipeline is bigger and it's more direct. So that's exciting to see. Yeah. Yeah. And it paints so much more of a realistic picture with pipeline because I mean, I've been in organizations mm-hmm. where I've seen, cool, they generated 2 million in pipeline, but a hundred thousand <laughs> closed. You know? Yeah. Uh, that's brutal. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, you mentioned providing employees and by extension sales sort of assets or resources to help them with that culture of online visibility. Um, what what do some of those look like and how did you decide on those? Yeah, I would say it's still in flux. We're still figuring out what we can do to help people the most. Mm-hmm. One thing that we rolled out um, when our past social media manager was here is every time we have a new piece of content that the marketing team is really excited about. So it could be a blog post, it could be a specific episode of a podcast, it could be an event that we're sponsoring that we're super jazzed about. We do what we call... Um, takeovers on our social. So we basically equip the team. We don't want everyone posting the exact same thing. We want it to be creative, but we give people like bullet points and things that they can talk about. So that if you're someone who say you're a brand new SDR, you've never posted on LinkedIn before, we're giving you something to post about every single week. So we're not expecting you to copy and paste this. We definitely don't want that, but we're giving you something that we know marketers will care about that you can post on your LinkedIn. And that's just for a lot of people, it's just not knowing what to post is usually the toughest part. So we kind of give them that to get started. And then from there, they'll maybe come to us one-to-one for advice or help. And we're always willing to do that too. Yeah. Yeah. No, figuring out what to post is definitely a challenge I hear from a lot of our members in demand collective, like Mm -hmm. where do I start? Right. And you know, me and Eric, for example, we put together basically a matrix where we say, here are some some different topics, right? And here's what our takes on those topics would be. And then mm-hmm. let's break it down by perspectives on that take, right? So then we've got basically just an endless list of things we can pull from when we're feeling a little challenged around what to talk about. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I feel the opposite. I have so many ideas, but not enough time. <laughs> so I have to block my calendar better to get to that. But <laughs> 
Yeah, it definitely, that's the number one challenge we hear from reps is I would love to do this, but I don't know how to start or I don't know what to post. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So are, right now, when it comes to working with the sales team, are you putting together your goals in tandem and, re- and, and connecting with them directly to make sure that your goals around pipeline are aligned with the conversion rates around like what they're able to actually close? Yeah, so we have kind of two funnels, essentially. We have an outbound motion and an Mm -hmm. inbound motion. So our SDR team is basically purely outbound, but we work with them on things like messaging cadences that they're sending. But those numbers, they own those numbers and we own the inbound funnel. Mm. But yeah, we work with sales leadership on, okay, we need, this is our total pipeline. Like say it's 3 million, we need to close. So that means we need four point something to get bring at the top of funnel. And then the rest is on the AEs to close. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, is there um, anything in particular right now that you think is really, really working for your team in general? And then maybe something that was like a big swing, but unfortunately a miss. Some of the big ones, it's pretty much still event season for us, Mm -hmm. especially if you're in SaaS. So events are still big. Um, we have a pretty different take on events where we don't do the traditional like lead scanning. We don't come back with again, a thousand leads from people that we talk to, but we incentivize the reps that go to actually book meetings on the spot. So that's one thing that we really focus on. Uh, and this year inbound was our biggest one. We booked almost a hundred meetings in I think the three days, two days um, of the event. So that was huge for us. That was our most successful event. And we're trying to figure out what, not exactly how to replicate that, but at smaller scale events where we didn't pay for the full trade show floor thing, um, how we can scale that. So for example, I'm going to two events next week just to kind of network and mingle. We're not doing a big sponsorship or anything, but trying to figure out how we can scale that because we have really employees pretty much all over the world. So we're trying to figure out how instead of sending someone officially from marketing, we can say like, hey, you're in Dublin or you're in London. Can you go check out this event and see if you can make any connections for us there versus dropping hundred K at every event that comes across right. our radar, because that isn't really in the budget right now. So, Right. Right. Yeah. Much easier to ask finance for a $10,000 trip, you know, to generate 20 mm-hmm. meetings, hopefully, you know, as opposed to the hundred K. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then on the not working side, I would say one thing that's been tricky for us and me personally this year is paid search has really taken a hit partly just because we have new competition in our space that wasn't around last year. Um, And then partly just because what we used to do isn't performing as well on whether it's the ads themselves, conversion on the page. So we're taking, that's kind of my focus for now is looking at what we can improve on our pages once we get that traffic there. Yeah. What do you, what do you look at when you dig into those pages? What are some of the, the, the things you see in terms of hey, maybe this is a red flag that I need to change, right? Or maybe this is the key pivot where people are dropping off. Mm, yeah, so the biggest thing for us, and I think I mentioned earlier, but we don't really do gated content or MQL. So really book a demo is the only offer we have out right now, which mm. I want more offers to play with personally. Um, so one that's coming is more of a product-led growth offer, which I'm really excited about in probably Q1. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting ready for that on especially paid search so people can just sign up and start playing around with the product right away versus going through the traditional demo flow. Um, So that's a big one that's coming. I'm excited about that. But the other piece is honestly just replicating what's working on high performing pages on our site already. 
it's just so much work to figure out like, okay, we ran this test. How do we replicate this on these 10 pages that we have running for paid, which ones don't make sense. So we actually have someone owning CRO right now on the team who's basically a growth marketer. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm just working with him on, he's run a ton of experiments, mostly on high traffic pages that we haven't applied to our lower traffic pages. So figuring out how we can learn from experiments that he's already run. Mm -hmm. When you run those experiments, do you take I know some there's sort of two fields of thought or schools of thought that I know of. Some people like to really take the scientific approach. Everything should be the same except for the one sort of variable factor. Right. And then other people I know go, we're going to test two completely different pages, completely (laughs) different offers and just kind of use that as a starting point. Do you uh, subscribe to either of those? Yeah, typically we try the first one. So changing one element, but we have done a couple of things when we just, we were dressed, we were going through a pretty drastic website redesign and we knew mm-hmm. we were going to flip the switch at some point, but we had to make sure that we weren't <laughs> going to shoot ourselves in the foot. <laughs> so we did do some tests of this new, we're calling it kind of like our dark mode site. It looks very different. When I joined, it was like very bright white yeah. website, very different. So we did some tests around landing pages for that, which were night and day, like a bright white page versus a dark one, just to make sure that we weren't going to see any big nosedives in any metrics. But obviously it went well because we made the switch. Um, But that was kind of the exception to us. Usually we would test kind of one element at a time. And right now we're actually, we just implemented Mutiny to try to play around with more personalization, which I'm really excited about because we just didn't have anything in-house before. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Yeah, they... um... I've been a part of a few different website redesigns. And when it comes time to flip that switch, that can be nerve wracking. It's scary. Yeah. And everybody, well, not everybody, a lot of people that were coming to our site knew our brand already. And we were worried that they would come and be like, am I on the right website? (laughs) Because it was very orange and white in the past. Yeah. Well, also you've got that, the internal pressure, right? Where you have Mm -hmm. either a CRO or a CEO or salespeople, people coming up and everyone has something to say and you've got to find that balance right of not doing too much marketing by committee but listening at least to some feedback Mm -hmm. yeah we're pretty lucky that when we bring data to that conversation that's usually enough I've been on teams where it didn't matter what you brought if someone at the exec team thought something um but our exec team is very open to seeing the data and going with that that's great that's great yeah that's I usually would tell people I go it's like not about what we like it's about what works you know yeah, exactly. And it's we're in a funny situation where we obviously sell MarTech to people in marketing. So often I'll say, like, I'm a marketer, so I kind of have a gut feel, but I still want to see some data behind that too. I'm just a, I'm a sample of one. So I don't want to do everything that I like. Um, so we've got about 10 minutes left. Um, I will ask one one last question of you, Tara. Do you mm-hmm. have, and then we'll open it up to to questions. Um, so feel free, uh, people to drop your questions in the chat. Um, Tara, what, if any, do you have a marketing hot take something, something spicy? Ooh, um, I, know, I, know. <laughs> I should have been prepared for this one. But I, was. I will say I'm still very anti lead scoring, but where I've really changed my mind in the last couple months is account scoring, um, mm-hmm. for a lot of different reasons. But the main one is we are testing it a lot on our outbound SDR team and the results that they're seeing have been amazing over the last couple of months. So 
not a fan of lead scoring because I think you can just spend your wheels and waste time, but you should be super strategic about the accounts you're going after, especially on the outbound side. So scoring can be helpful there. 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. That's, that's uh, I think if marketing, especially in, in a world where our attainable and sellable market are so finite, I think mm-hmm. it is essential for any demand-driven team and sales-led org to really work together to hit the same accounts. Like we should be facilitating that relationship and that brand familiarity and that brand bias perpetually. For sure. Yeah. I mentioned that a lot of our, especially our our paid social spend on LinkedIn, we're not looking for direct conversions, but we're targeting the same accounts. Our SDR team is emailing and calling and we know that that helps them get those meetings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love that. Well, thanks for answering those questions. Let's dig into some questions. I see David, you dropped a question in here. Uh, Do you have a product marketing team that is helping drive what message points to focus on? How do you choose what messaging slash differentiation to use? So we do. We have a team of one product marketer, so she's very busy. Um, And we use a tool called Winter to do messaging testing. It's basically same idea as testing a headline on the landing page, but we get to record those reactions, which is sometimes very helpful to hear. Um, but I'm sure there's more we could be doing on the testing front, but we use it to test things like headlines, taglines, if our product pages make sense to just new markets. Thank you. Thank you. And I see, I see a couple different questions here on, on outbound. So, um, Christina Gaspar asked, how do you work with your sales team and AEs usually? And Eric also asked, can you dive deeper on your outbound processes? Sure. Hi, Christina. (laughs) Um, So on the outbound processes side, we have a team of three SDR managers who really own that. So I don't want to touch on that too much because it's not really my specialty. But is there anything specific you want to know about? Yeah, you just mentioned how you were using account scoring. So I'm curious if there's any mm. golden nuggets for other demand gen managers who are kind of trying to influence the that. way we're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. We're hoping to write something up on this soon because we've had questions around it. Um, but we're using a tool called GoodFit that helps us score based on, basically they look at some of our best customers and not necessarily biggest customers, but customers that have stayed with us for a long time that have expanded and that are happy customers and they help us score accounts to go find more people like that. So they're helping us identify patterns of like what that tech stack looks like, what industry these customers are in, because sometimes we're just too close to it and we don't see these trends. So that's been super helpful for building up those scores. Yeah. Um, we... and they... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just saying, Christina asked, I'm curious how you get sales bought in on your campaigns. Mm. Yeah, good question. Um, so with our AE team directly, we I don't do a ton of work with them. They work with our product marketer a little bit more than with me. Um, but the way that we work with AEs today is they typically only get meetings put on their calendar when the lead is qualified. So there isn't really like a ton of handoff conversations that we need to have. They just run their demo and take it from there. Um, but on the SDR front, we meet with them pretty much bi-weekly, sometimes weekly, depending on what's going on. And we basically use it to compare notes. So we help take a look into their cadences and see what messaging is working. We also sometimes kind of use them to test their messaging for us. Um, if I don't know if I want to put spend behind something, I'll kind of use their outbound cadences to test something for us, which is 
super helpful, not exactly free, but kind of free. <laughs> um, and then I'll do the, I'll basically bring notes and show screenshots in that meeting or just share my screen on what our top performing ads are so they can learn from that too. And sometimes we'll just literally borrow word for word what's working in outbound and what's working on the ad side. That's great. That's great. Any any other questions from the audience? Let's see here. Have you um what do you feel like is like your biggest achievement in your time at Chili Piper? Ooh. Um This might sound weird, but I feel like just the last year in general, it's just <laughs> been a tough time in B2B and in SaaS and I'm sure a lot of you guys can relate. Um, but just as a company and as a team, we've been doing so awesome on our pipeline numbers. So I'm super happy about that. We're not hundred percent every single month, but we're close and closer than I would have thought leading into the year. It was when I first saw our targets for this year, I was pretty nervous, but yeah, it's been shaping up to be a good year. That's amazing. That's a, I had a similar sentiment in 2020. I was working for a childcare software company and they Childcare all closed, right? And we mm -hmm. still managed to have our second biggest year ever with a huge component being a part of demand. And so I, I get wow. that. <laughs> That's but, Yeah, sometimes just getting through the year is an accomplishment. But... Getting through the day sometimes, you know. <laughs> uh, Christina says, Chili Piper made me believe in email newsletters again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to screenshot guys... that. That's so yeah, nice. <laughs> A couple months ago, I remember seeing you posted what you were up to 21,000 subscribers. Yeah. So it's definitely, it didn't happen overnight. Um, yeah. It's been <laughs> probably about five years that we've been slowly growing it. And then when I took it over, we started actually putting some paid spend behind growing it too, just because we, we saw that people had good feedback about it. We were using it to promote our own events. So yeah, it's been a fun project to grow kind of in the background. Obviously, pipeline is still our focus, but it's been fun. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, if there's no other questions, um, just going to say thanks, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Collective Wisdom. And thank you, Tara, for being our guest today. Really look forward to seeing the great work you continue to do in, in demand gen. Um, for those watching, if you're a demand marketer looking for a tight-knit community of demand gen experts, be sure to apply to our community, Demand Collective, at demandcollective.io. Eric will drop that link in the chat. Thanks, everyone, and have a great week. And thank you again, Tara. Thanks, Brian.